Are you an adventurer looking to take your hunt to the next level? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the East Meets West Hunt podcast presented by Onyx. On today's episode, I am joined by Tony Treach. Tony is a well-known big buck killer from Michigan who always seems to kill the biggest muleys, whitetails, elk, whatever on his adventure hunts. We talk about how he got into western hunting, finding overlooked places to hunt, e-scouting for mule deer, pre-scouting, glassing strategies, and some pretty awesome stories from past hunts in the high country. The East Meets West Hunt Podcast is brought to you by Onyx, and the Onyx Hunt app is your premier GPS hunting app that turns your phone into a working GPS. I'm using the Hunt app at home and in the field while scouting for mountain bucks in Pennsylvania. I'm marking places that I find and typing in the notes to help me for this upcoming fall. I always take a photo of the spot to add to my waypoint so that I can visualize it at a later date. If you want to check out the Onyx Hunt app for yourself, head over to onyxmaps.com and use the coupon code EMW to save yourself 20%. Tethered is a company that's founded on the principles of educating the hunting community on saddle hunting while creating the most innovative, lightweight, safe products. And I'm using this, the Phantom saddle system with the Predator platform for all of my mobile hunts. I actually got the Predator XL platform in the other day too. So I'm going to be messing around, see which one I like the the most, which I had no issues with the regular Predator, but the bigger platform might be a little bit nicer. We'll we'll see. So if you want to learn more about tethered and saddle hunting, head over to tetherednation.com. Maven is building the highest quality optics at half the price of their competitors through their direct-to-consumer business model. They want to create the best optics for the job, period. Their products are back with a lifetime no-fault warranty and an incredible customer experience. I'm using the B2 9x45 binos on all my western hunts. It is a low-light monster, allowing you to see through the binos longer than you can with your naked eye. You can use the coupon code EASTMEETSWEST-GIFT for a free gift with any full price optics order at mavenbuilt.com. And last but not least, Spartan Forge. As we require an accurate forecast of the best hunting days and the best hunting spots to save time on scouting and actually executing the hunts. The Spartan Forge Outfitter utilizes years of military background and machine learning to pull from millions of data points to accurately predict deer movement, which includes GPS data, over 30 years of weather data, academic and state research. They're using science rather than someone's opinion to figure out the movement for your specific hunting area. You can use the code EASTMEETSWEST to save 25% off of the outfitter at SpartanForge.ai. On this week's Mountain Buck Story of the Week, or otherwise known as Mountain Buck Monday, over on social media, we have a story from Ryan Elders coming out of the mountains of Western North Carolina. Ryan said, I found this clear cut in September and scouted it until I found my ambush spot. And I walked back 3.6 miles numerous times knowing that I needed to trust my spot. On December the 7th, I walked in before daylight to find my sticks and stand recovered with ice. So I walked up the hill and sat down around 10 o'clock. Then the big nine point came in and I shot him at 10 yards. It was a long haul out, but so worth it for this old heavy horned warrior. And 
once again, everyone just keeps sending in some awesome bucks and really great stories. So Ryan, congratulations. Head over to social media at, at East Meets West Hunt on Instagram or East Meets West Outdoors on Facebook and check out this buck that Ryan shot in Western North Carolina last year. In other news, the Mountain Buck Scouting Video Series, the first episode of this season, is live on my YouTube channel, which is just Bo Martonic. This one all has to do with public land trail camera strategy for the big woods. So it's about an 18-minute video. I break down everything as far as my strategy and how I'm using that data to help me with the hunts and you know how I'm breaking that down to a three-year strategy. All those different types of things are all in this new video. So if you would, head over to my YouTube, check it out. If you like it, share it with your friends, family, anybody if you like it, and then definitely subscribe. Give the video a thumbs up and a comment if you like it, of course. And uh, there'll be some more coming out, not this week, but next week. I'll drop the next one. Every two weeks, I'll be releasing one of those videos until the season's done. So pretty excited about that. Uh, this past weekend, I was at the Tethered Teach and Train Tour down in southern West Virginia with um, the the Untamed crew. So I was down there with those guys. I had Kirk on the podcast before, and I have another one coming out next week with Josh there. Stayed at Josh's house. He was, him and his family were so nice and open to having me stay there at their place and and the, the event turned out great there were some of you listeners that were there um it was just it was a lot of fun a great event the next one will be in um pennsylvania at seven springs for the total archery challenge here in a couple of weeks so uh, I'll be at that one as well. So be looking forward to that. If you, you head over to tetherednation.com, as I mentioned earlier, you can find all the information if the tour is coming near you. And just lastly, I'm awaiting draw results for Colorado as we speak. Hopefully, um, it's supposed to hit the credit cards here this week and be able to know if we drew or not. I'm, I'm confident in it, but I'm, you know, Always like to see the tag in hand before <laughs> before I get too confident. But waiting on that, which leads right into this episode here with Tony Treach, as he is an absolute killer. And I don't care if you're hunting whitetails, mule deer, elk, anything. You can learn a lot from this podcast and the way Tony just approaches it. And he's extremely driven, a guy that is, uh, is truly, truly incredible. So... I I think that you'll enjoy this one and get a lot of great information out of it. So, without further ado, let's uh, let's talk with Tony. All right, we're live. Tony Treach, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on, Bo. Yeah, it's good to it's good to connect with you and get to talk to you a little bit. Been following along with your stuff and reading some of your your writings and stuff through Rockslide and everything for quite a while now. So it's it's good to get to talk to you. Well, I appreciate being on the show. I, I enjoy your podcast, and uh, I've picked up uh, quite a bit from it. So I'm excited to be on. Yeah, well, I'm glad I have guests that are good enough on to get you that information because I know that's not coming from me. So <laughs> well, lots of good stuff. There's always, there's always there's something in everybody's experience to pick from. So 
Yeah, no, that's that's cool. I I um one of the things that I didn't know until I was talking to you about getting this show is that you're from Michigan. I don't know why. I just assumed that you lived out west. And I spent three to four months a year out there. That might be why. Yeah, that might that might be why. When I I see all the the photos and videos and stuff that you post, I was like, he's got he's got to live out there. And uh, guess not. <laughs> no, no, I, uh, I I I live in northern Michigan and just just spend. Uh, entire fall out in the mountains and uh now this this spring i'm going to be going out for my first bear hunt and i haven't hunted bears since 09 so this will be the first time in quite a while but yeah nice. more road trips. how how long are you going out for that bear hunt uh it's all up in the air uh matter of fact the date we're going is still up in the air uh we're waiting for the grass to kind of green up where we're going and uh my buddies that invited me out are just watching it and waiting yeah could be, could be a few weeks could be next week i'm my, my my schedule stays flexible so when they call i'll jump in the truck and i'll be there the next day so oh that's awesome and uh i i uh i've always wanted to hunt spring bear and it's been something that every year i'm like i, I want to make that happen nice break in the spring i just haven't been able to uh get justify the vacation time from work at this point to to want to do it so that's I was like, hmm, I could cut a week off my mule deer hunt, or I could, and I'm like, nah, I'm just gonna. <laughs> no, I, I've got used to. Um, when, I think it was in 2018. I started spending at least two weeks out west, and I I don't know if I could go back to trying to do it in a week. Like it just feels so rushed and it's difficult. If I only spent two weeks out there, I would come back home and pack everything up and just go just and just turn around and go back. I couldn't, I don't, I don't think I could do it. Yeah. Um, and I had that feeling when I was young too. Uh, I, I told you earlier, I used to grow up ski racing and I, I mean, it's so the mountains called to me. Like I'm like, I mean, I'm stuck in the Midwest, you know, racing on icy slopes and I see all these guys out West skiing and powder. I'm like, I need to be out there. And the only thing that held me back was uh, my mother was uh, terminally ill for a long time. And, I didn't want to leave her side. And so I stayed here, went to college and started a business and, and now my business keeps me here. Um, otherwise I, I, I would have been gone a long time. It's even before I was hunting in the mountains, it, it drew, it drew to me. And so I can, it's something about it. Yeah. So you, you started your business you, and you were telling me before we started recording a, as a home builder, you started that mm -hmm. like relatively early on. Well, yeah, I, right out of college, I uh, graduated with a, a business degree, didn't want to have anything to do with doing business. Uh, and I just, I literally spent so much time in, in, and I wasn't a good student in high school. I was a good student in college, but, uh, but I did, I had enough. Like I, I was like, I need to just get outside because I, you know, I grew up trimming Christmas trees and then I worked on the ski hills and then I worked on the charter boats fishing. I literally have never had a job inside. So being in college for that time, just, it was just too much indoor time. I needed to get out and. So I got a job as a carpenter. My grandpa was a carpenter and I, my dad does not use tools, but like we try to keep sharp things away from him. Like, you know, he's just doesn't build anything. So I was, I was like, screw it. I'm going to, I'm going to try to be a carpenter. And I answered an ad in a paper, showed up on the job site the next morning. Uh, you know, the guy hired me over the phone, got there at the time. He said they start, there's nobody there. You know, it's a half million dollar job. Nowadays it'd be a $2 million job. And, you know, half hour after starting time, guys start to roll in boss didn't even come up till noon you know there's a brand new sky track there there's a trailer full of fifty thousand dollars in tools and there's this big beautiful home overlooking lake michigan i'm like these guys are all idiots <laughs> i'm gonna do this and it would be great 
<laughs> and uh, and luckily, uh, I did have some. I discovered that I had skills working with my hands of wood, which is important too, because you can have all the business mind. It doesn't matter, but um, it's worked out great. And uh, got a uh, great lead carpenter working over me, and that taught me not just how to do it, but how to run guys, how to make money at it. And then when I finally left him, uh, he taught me how to bid things and how to price things. And it was a smooth transition, but I think I started when I was 26 on my own and I'm 46 now. So yeah, 20 years. Wow. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. And you said it's been keeping you busy here recently. (laughs) Too busy. Yeah. Right now it's, it's silly. Like I, the, the building materials are so expensive. I, I don't even understand how these people just keep coming to us and just throwing money at us. Just build, build, build. So I, yeah, I just keep my fingers crossed that we don't hit a wall here and everybody just kind of disappears because it's, it's almost too good to be, to be true. The hardest part, the only trouble we have right now is just finding employees. Yeah. And, uh, Isn't that crazy? It seems like it's, it's like that across the board and, and, and especially in mm-hmm. trades, you know, trying to find, people with that. I mean, you know better than I do, but even in manufacturing where I work, it's like trying to find people is, it can be really difficult. That's, you know, yeah. we ha- have the work. It's just like trying to find people that want to come in, show up and actually work. <laughs> and I, I've been in the area long enough. I had a good reputation. I had a lot of great guys. Like I had a group of, I had a, like, I look back now, I had like the super crew. I had like 12 guys I think eight of them had had their own builder's license and worked for themselves at some point, but they just didn't want to deal with the headaches of it. So they worked for me. And that was like up till 2017. And then once things really just blew up and started going fast, well, they, they went all went back out on their own. And I had to start basically back from scratch. I think I had one guy that stayed with me from that group and we're slowly building back. But I mean, until time slow down a little bit and I'm the only one busy, <laughs> it's, I'm never going to see those guys back again. I mean, so Hopefully someday they'll, they'll come back. But. Yeah. Oh, that's that's crazy. So when you know when you were young and growing up and doing this kind of stuff, were you into hunting at that point too? Oh yeah. Yeah. Started. My dad had me sitting in tree stands with him when I was eight, and you can't hunt in Michigan until you're twelve. So I I I shot a million deer with my with my imagination, sitting you know on a limb below his stand, and uh, by the time I was 12 and I could buy my own license. You know, he bought me a license. Uh, I don't think I had a Michigan deer tag. I didn't fill. And there might've been a little party hunting in there too, that I was helping mom fill her tags. And I'm sure that, that that's past. I can, I can say that now, but <laughs> I mean, I was, and I was not picky. I was, I would shoot every single deer that came through. And uh, it wasn't until I was probably early twenties that a buddy of mine asked me, Matter of fact, I was probably about 25, 24, and he asked me to, to go out of state hunting. And I didn't even, I had never thought about it. And he started showing me pictures of what they were killing. And it's just like, I've never seen a deer like that. I've never seen a deer that big. You know, in Northern Michigan, it's hard to see a two-year-old. Back then, it was, you wouldn't, to see a two-year-old buck was rare because everybody shot the first thing with antlers. If it had a three-inch antler on one side, it was going down. And, and it's different here now. Now you can, if you work here, you can shoot you know, 125 inch buck every year or close to that. But my buddy showed me them pictures and I'm like, let's do this. And that evolved into, uh, hunting Iowa, Ohio, uh, Illinois and Kansas, whenever, you know, eventually uh, a couple years down the road. And 
but we'd go down and we'd sleep in a farmer's barn in Illinois and then go to Ohio and in Iowa every few years when we draw. And uh, I did that up until about, it's probably close to nine years ago now. Uh, when I just, I, I think what it was, was I was in Kansas and I started seeing these big mule deer bucks that I couldn't shoot because I didn't have the either species tag. And when you're there for two weeks and you're a week and a half and you're watching these giant mule deer, you know, push does around, no one's hunting them because everybody's hunting whitetails. And uh, I was like, I need to, I need, I want to hunt one of these things. So that like, you know, that next year I started looking around and uh, went to Colorado and went to my, I mean, I jumped right in, you know, feed first. And I think that first year I went out West, I hunted Montana and Colorado and maybe that was just it. Maybe just the two States, but I got my first elk and I got, you know, a, a great meal there. And that's, it was, and I was hooked. I literally have not hunted from a tree stand since that day. Really? Even when I hunt my, no, and, and my, and my, my white tails have gotten way bigger and better since I've gotten out of that tree stand too, I'll add. Um, but it's not in Iowa or, or Ohio or Illinois anymore. Um, the last buck I killed in Illinois was 165 inch buck. He's right behind me. Uh, my best Illinois buck I've ever shot. And then I, I literally never hunted from a tree stand after that. Um, really? I didn't, yeah. I didn't know that. That's, that's yeah. incredible. Well, cause I'm, I'm hunting in Eastern Montana and Kansas for the most part for my white tails. So okay. it's wide open. Uh, even if there are trees there to, to hang, that's not where the deer are. So it just doesn't, it doesn't make sense. You handicap yourself by sitting in a tree stand. So you don't hunt in Michigan anymore. I set probably 20 trail cameras a year on properties that I can hunt around here. And I have not killed a buck here since 2013. And, uh, he, he's, he's my best Michigan buck. He's like 137 inches. I literally saw him along my driveway coming home from Kansas in 2013, I, I hadn't seen my girlfriend at the time uh, in, well, I don't know, 10 days, two, two weeks, something like that. And I'm driving down the driveway and I see him pushing a doe along, you know, in, on my property. And I, I, I got home and I just, I was coming from a hunt where, you know, I was chasing giant bucks, but I didn't even get to say hello. As I grabbed my gear, I rushed out of that truck. You know, I'd been in the truck for 16 hours and I, I snuck down the driveway and he'd already gotten across the road, but he was standing the other person in the neighbor's property, like watching their kids play in the backyard. They turned around, came right back and I killed him on my property. That was, <laughs> that was the last buck I've shot in Michigan. Really? I had, I had high hopes this year because last year I found a set of sheds in my backyard. Uh, I, I piled up all the landscaping brush in a pile and they just love it. And uh, I found a, a match set, but, I never, he was probably 110 inches last year, but I never, never saw a picture of him. So some probably shot him, yeah. but yeah, it's, it's tough to find a, a good, a buck that gets me going here now. I'm spoiled. Yeah. Are you pretty close to the, like the national forests and stuff that's up there in Northern Michigan? There are national, there's a lot of public land up here. Yeah. Um, that's what I the thought. Sea sand dunes, you've got the Manistee national forest. You've got the Huron national forest. There's a, there's a ton of, 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 of public land. I haven't hunted it in years, but I grew up, you know, my, you know, pre high school years, I lived literally right across the road from it and no one hunted it. I mean, I shouldn't say no one hunted it back then. My dad and my uncles did and stuff, but we'd never, they'd never, I mean, it, I'm sure it gets hunted harder now, but there are still, I know there are still some spots around here that, I mean, it's, there's some big chunks of property. Yeah. That's, I, I've, 
every everyone always compares Michigan and Pennsylvania as being similar, you know, like same thing with Pennsylvania used to be the same way with anybody shooting this first buck that came by and then mm-hmm. antler restrictions came in here and now they're starting to get some older yeah. deer and some bigger deer and stuff in there and and it seems like the hunting tradition is pretty similar as well, you know, from Michigan to Pennsylvania, but I didn't know that you, it was only nine years ago you started going out West. Yeah. Well, yeah, well I for, Midwest. for mule deer and elk. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, I'd have to, I'd have to look at the, at the calendar. I think it was, yeah, I think it was 2012. Man, that's crazy. Um, so what, um, so once you started hunting the mountains for mule deer, what kind of, what just well you said you loved the mountains already from skiing and everything but you just became hooked on it at that point or oh yeah well i mean the first the first hunt i had was in colorado in the high country you know and you know that that late august last saturday in august start and i think i got there five days early and i mean i found four or five bucks over 170 you know right away there's i mean you're hiking up in these big, beautiful, green, luscious basins with flowers that come up to your knees. And it's just, there's water everywhere. It's, it's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. And I didn't really run too many hunters back. You you do now, but it's changed a little bit, but it was just, it was like heaven, you know, and just, and I think that uh, the way I hunt is very, you know, I'm, I'm kind of suited for spot and stock. Like that's, I've, I've never, I've been restless my whole life. Life, like I don't, I don't do well on a stand. I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm fidgety and I move. But if you put me in a spot where I can see my target and I can move in on it, and it, it, it was, there was a high rate of success right from the very beginning, and um, it was, yeah, hooked. To say I was hooked uh, from the from the start would be the the biggest understatement. Head over heels in love with it and. Um, there, I, I can't see, I dread the year that, that, that comes when my body finally says, no, you're not gonna, you're not gonna climb up there maybe with horses, but yeah, uh, I really dread that time. So, so when you started doing it, do you start backpack hunting right away or were you hiking in from the truck or? Yep. And, and that was my intro to rock slide too, in 2012 is like, it's like, I need to figure out how to do this. Where yeah. do I go? <laughs> And, you know, I was, you know, I was a long time member on, uh, archery talk and I, and Aaron Snyder used to be on archery talk all the time in the Western hunting category. Like there's a little sub sub category yeah, for Western hunting. And, uh, I think I saw somewhere, you know, some he must have mentioned rock slide and I went on there and even back then you could gleam enough information off there to do everything. And I'm not saying how, where to go, but how to do it and what, what gear you would need. You know, there were, there were guys, uh, I think Conlon McConnell, uh, I think I'm pronouncing his name right. Uh, had a spreadsheet that he just publicly shared with everybody. It's like, this is everything I take and here's how much it weighs, you know, here are items I take off when it's not raining. And it was just like, Holy cow, like, these are all the things you need. And and we went camping and stuff a lot as a kid. So I was used to being in a tent. Um, but throwing 50 pounds in your backpack and, you know, hiking in was new, but, um, other than the altitude and getting used to that, uh, it was, it was a pretty sl- sl- uh, you know, seamless fit. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. I feel like anybody that 
starts out always ends up on rock slide. I mean, that's what I, the same thing that I did. I read way too much probably at the beginning and overthought it from the the gear standpoint and everything else. But at the same time, I, it definitely helped me, um, you know, reduce that learning curve ridiculously Mm -hmm. as I, as I move forward with it. Yeah. I mean, you're not going to go on there and find, you know, if you go on, it's like any of the other sites, if you go on there and ask where to hunt, you're going to get the same responses. But if you go on there and say, Hey, how are you doing this? You're going to have a lot of people trying to help you that are genuinely, they want you to succeed. Yeah. And, and now do you, you still write for them as far as for the gear side of things? I thought I remember just a couple months ago, seeing an article that, that you had on there. Yeah, it varies. Uh, some years, uh, I'll have too many tags and I don't really have that much time and I'll just do a couple of reviews, but uh, yeah, I usually do between three and six uh, gear reviews a year. And then um, yeah, there's there, and there's some, I've got some new stuff in the works for this, uh, this, this fall that uh, I'm not quite yet ready to share, but there'll be, there'll be something I'm releasing on Rockslide this fall. Let's just say. Oh, geez. All right. Not a gear review. Yeah. Cool. Well, I'm I'm looking forward to 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 seeing it there. And and when when do you plan on releasing this information? Uh, it'll be it'll it'll depend on editing, but it'll it should be you know December January timeframe. Okay. All right. So we got a little bit of time yet still, yeah. but <laughs> that's cool. Do you, do you write for any any other places or just Rocks Live exclusively? Uh. Well, yeah, definitely not exclusive to Rock Slide. That was one of the first things I told them when I when I when they approached me. But because uh, I had already been in Western Hunter and uh, Eastman's at that point, and I just wanted to keep those avenues open. Yeah, uh, and I've had other other people that I've written for that, uh, but, but but most of the stuff, if I'm writing something, it's it's either going to be on Rock Slide, Western Hunter, or Eastman's. Okay, nice. Um, so you had mentioned, uh, you mentioned with going to Colorado and going there like five days early or so to kind of scout and get used to it. Is that, so, I mean, I know that you spend a ton of time out there, but do you find that that's more beneficial than say, all right, say if a, a guy had a week or two weeks to go out there, spending that two weeks actually hunting or going out at the beginning of the season, a few days ahead and scouting, you know, leading up to it? Uh if it's the, if it's the early if it's the uh, archery the early archery I would say at least throw yourself two or three days of scout um, if you do five that's great uh, and break it up now the later hunts once you get I think the muzzleloader too they might treat the muzzleloader the same just because it's it's you know it's only a couple of days into the season but if you are going for a second third or fourth rifle tag maybe just a day or two to scout because those deer are moving so much then that especially the third and the fourth that 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 it's you know that it's rut and there you might you might see a deer one day and the next day you never get you know he's gone you never see him again so okay it just depends on the type of hunt and i don't i don't suggest that with elk i mean uh a day or two for elk is usually if you know the area yeah so i guess that's kind of tough tough if it's your first time for elk you might want to throw that extra time in there because you might hunt five seven days and not see an elk um But once once you find find them and you kind of, it kind of clicks like okay this is the stuff they like this is areas I gotta look then they're easier to find and they're more transient so I just don't think they scouting them is as as useful as it is for the deer. Yeah, I, I mean, 
I so I I was going back and forth next. I've never hunted mule deer before, and this year I'm planning on it. I think I'm going to draw a Colorado tag. Um, I'm pretty confident in it because I'm shooting for a a little bit lower point unit than what I have. Just you know, kind of assuming that there might be some bit of a creep or more people that are applying. But with that being said, I I was. Go, we, were, we were going back and forth, there's three of us, and we're like, you know, do we want to go out early and scout, which is what the, my hunting partners have hunted mule deer in the high country in the past, and that's what they did before and said it was, you know, awesome. Last year, my cousin was in Utah, and he said they, you know, they spotted 17 bucks the day before the season, and then all of a sudden, opening morning, it was like, they said it was like just headlamps coming across the mountains, you know, coming in, and everything changed, but I don't think Colorado's that bad as far as, um, I hope not. <laughs> what I saw last year in Colorado was that bad, and I had never seen it that bad before. Um, the same unit, I hunted the same unit last year that I hunted in 2018, and I never saw another hunter. The, well, I shouldn't say that. I saw another hunter, but he was in another unit and he pushed my buck to me. I was basically waiting. I had bumped my buck and he went to another unit. I sat there, I think for four days and waited for him to come back. And I don't know if he would have came back if this other hunter wouldn't have bumped him. But this year I had the same unit and I bet you I saw 10 to 15 people a day. Really? Mm-hmm. I had, I had the opening morning to kill my buck that I had scouted and I was on. And I got, I literally got up at two in the morning to hike. I didn't, I didn't camp up there because I didn't want to draw any attention to it. So I got up to hiked in and around to get above them. Uh, right at daylight's breaking, I peek over and they're feeding the same spot they've been feeding all week and they're moving to their bedding area. So I backed off, um, snuck around to the, to basically behind their bedding spot, peeked over and there was two guys coming up through the basin, uh, just, they weren't, they weren't, it didn't look like they were sneaking in on those bucks. I think they were just hiking through it to get to actually the other unit on the other side. And I don't, I, they, I, I searched until the muzzleloader hunt started for those bucks and never turned them up again. Really? I never, matter of fact, I had five or six bucks within five miles of me over 180 and I never saw a single one of them again. Do you think they were mule deer hunting or elk hunting? The guys that bumped them elk hunting. Okay. I'm almost positive. Yeah. I've, Try not to give too much information away where I'm going, but I I did pick a unit that has draw elk tags um, to to try to <laughs> try to limit that a little bit, you know, because I when I hunted Colorado for elk and the last year was 2018, I hunted there. I was like, I really don't want to go back again unless I absolutely have to, at least for elk um, and over the counter unit. But it, um, yeah, that's definitely something that's kind of scary with it but also that's why again too with wanting to go earlier we wanted to get there before muzzleloader came in um and you know early rifle in some places and and everything else and you know and it with the season starting later now too you know Mm. again i don't know much about this but even uh, talking to brian barney and stuff worrying about them kind of moving down to more middle elevations and stuff and into the timber that is kind of a yeah, that, that later archery date is not helping us in Colorado. Uh, it's helping the elk hunters because uh, yeah. they get you know later time in September, but it's it's, it's not good. Uh, and it, it is what it is. I mean, there's no – you got to deal with it, but 
it's definitely gonna make it tougher. Yeah, for what the next four years at least. That's what the management plan was five years, I think, for those dates. And so yeah, that'll be that'll be interesting. But and just kind of seeing those the way the dates were for the rifle seasons and stuff, I was like, ah, I'm gonna burn my points in Colorado now and try to try and the way that the strategy I kind of had with it, which wasn't my plan going into it, was I wanted to hunt a unit that doesn't take a whole lot to draw, but enough that you know, I can hunt it every couple of years if I wanted to and get, learn the unit a little bit. Um, I, I don't know. That was just kind of my, my thought process with it. Yeah, no, that's a good idea. I, I try to hunt it every year. So I end up hunting a zero point unit at least every other year. And then, uh, you know, I've picked up tags in the, on the, uh, second, uh, second choice. I've picked up a land. I've bought one lander voucher in my, you know, there and, um, yeah, any, any way I have can, can get, uh, to, to hunt Colorado every year. It's definitely a, a state that I, I will not skip. Yeah. And do you, um, and you've had quite a bit of success with elk in Colorado as well, right? Oh yeah. Yep. Yep. It's been, it's been, I shot my first elk there. Uh, and I think I've, I think I've, I, the only elk tag I think I've ever had that, or I think I've had two that I didn't punch. And one was a year I had a moose tag in Idaho. So I, I didn't really give it a whole lot of time. And then last year, <laughs> Okay. And I was being really picky too. I had a couple of, I was in an OTC unit and it was, I mean, there was two bulls, both of them were over three thirty, and, and I was on them every day and just couldn't, couldn't pull it off. And I had lots of other bulls. I could have shot at point blank range, but I just, I, uh, was holding up for them and it didn't work. Oh, that's, that's awesome. And it, it does give you a little bit of hope. Like I said, I was just, I was disgusted the last time that I was there. I mean, when I, I was being a little bit strong when I said I'd never go back, but it was just, the, I mean, the one point I had some friends with horses and we, um, the first part of the hunt, I the first seven days I was with my dad and we hunted a spot that I'd hunted years in the past and it was just flooded with people. And, and then I went in with my buddies at horses and, and we went back in like nine miles into this wilderness area and there was just outfitter tents and then there was other people that took llamas back in and it was just it felt like everywhere we went was just you know filled with people and uh made it difficult but you know that's the name of the game that we have now and just gotta gotta deal with it and figure it out it's getting the the further you yeah so when i started going out west if you went in that far you didn't see as many people and it's, I think there's it's such a craze now of going in deep and, and, uh, just trying to outwork everybody that sometimes you just got to hunt smarter. And a lot of the, a lot of the, the animals I'm finding aren't, aren't, they aren't way, way, way in, you know, they're maybe a few miles yeah. or less. So interesting. It, it's, and I, I found that with elk, like when 2019, I changed my strategy. I didn't even backpack hunt. I just hunted from the truck and in a spot that you couldn't get back in from the way that the mountain range was and border and all this other stuff with the uh, units. And I, what I found was people were just basically the locals would road hunt it and, you know, they'd drive up and down glass from their vehicles and all the backpack hunters went to these wilderness areas and stuff and wanted to get in real deep and kind of had a sweet spot within, you know, two to three miles from the truck. And we had an awesome hunt there for 14 Mm -hmm. days. And 
I, I ended up killing mine on the first day, but all my buddies, we were in bulls every single day by, you know, doing that. And I was, do you take that similar strategy for mule deer as well? Like as far as not going as far as maybe you used to? I'm, I'm, I'm much pitch, pitch, much pickier with mule deer than I am with elk. I mean, I, and I, and I was being pretty picky with elk too, but, uh, so I give myself a lot more time to scout the mule deer. And then when I do, it's, it's a lot of miles and I'm, and that's, that's when I'm putting on, you know, the backpack gets a lot more use than, uh, and depending on where I find them, you know, if I find them six, seven miles from the truck, then, then that's where I'm going to live. Um, the bucks I found this year were, uh, directly above a trailhead straight up, but you couldn't see them from any of the trails that led from that trailhead. You had to literally like bushwhack through down first down a Canyon then back up the other side, almost vertical face to look across into this tiny little cut that they were just living in and uh how those guys why they why they chose to walk up there opening morning beyond me they just i think they must have just been new and thought they had a shortcut to get over that mountain uh, i'm sure they were regretting it and when i saw their heads peek over and bust my deer i was i regretted it too but <laughs> but those there was you know 20 cars below below you know 600 yards from those bucks and really Oh yeah. And, and one was way over, you know, well over 200 inches. So, but they just, they, they figure out spots where people don't bother elk are even better at it. I think, you know, you, and that's why, you know, you, you find those secret little spots that they're just a few miles off and that no, nobody's, everybody's walking around or walking past or overlooking. Those are the spots that you got to keep, keep tight to your chest. And yeah. Yeah, they're going to, they're going to produce again. Yeah, no, they, yeah, they, they found their security spot there and mm-hmm. they're able to hang out and, you know, even see that with whitetails sometimes too, you know, there's for a few years there, I was just like really trying to find the oldest, biggest deer. And I was finding spots in Pennsylvania where I was getting back in four miles or so, was, which is incredible here to do that. And yeah. I was just, I wasn't finding any better bucks than I was in some of these spots that were just you know, not at the end of the road, you know, sort of deal that would be within even a mile from the the truck. And it was just, it was just kind of a learning thing for me. It's not necessarily always how far it's, you know, wherever they had that security, but. And not that security can come in a lot of different ways, either being by being a spot that people don't see you in, or maybe uh, a chunk of private or uh, just something that's just so nasty that everybody just looks at it and says, I don't know how I'd even kill him. Yeah. I don't know how I'd kill him. So that's, that's, that's interesting. And you, you do some scouting trips out there too. Like you were telling me, I don't remember if we were talking about it on here, but, or beforehand about flying out to, um, in the summertime to do some scouting. Is that something that's pretty regular for you? Uh, I've only flown once. Usually I drive. I love having all my tools with me. Yeah. Uh, but usually I just leave before the season. So I'll give it, uh, you know, like last year I, I drew a Nevada deer tag, uh, burned a bunch of points on, and I think I left probably about 10 days before it started. So that I, you know, after the drive time, that's 33 hours drive for me. I still got had, you know, eight, eight days and the, the unit was so remote that just taking a day to go get cleaned up and, and lawn, you know, get laundry burned an entire day, maybe a day and a quarter. Cause it, you know, it's just such a long drive, but I, I always try to give myself, especially a new unit, try to give myself plenty of time to get there beforehand and scout and as much as possible. So four plans up for me and, and I've, and I've built my, 
my business to, to run like this. Like everybody that I work for knows, and, 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 I, and I work, I'm a subcontractor. So my company basically provides carpentry labor. So I work for other builders and I've been in town long enough that I can do it for the best builders that I, I come in and mesh with their people when they need more, more people. So when I leave, their people are running my people and I just come back away and all I got to do is come out and do payroll and invoicing and occasionally deal with an issue, but there's not much. So it works well. And I've built it that way so that I can do this. So, you know, I, those are things I wish I would have learned in high school and they were telling me, you know, <laughs> not too late. <laughs> <laughs> not too late. you're right. It's never too late, but it's, it's, I, I've heard this a lot from uh, other hunters that I've got to know that get a lot of time to hunt and they've built their businesses around making that time, you know, and I, I think that's awesome. I think it's cool that you're able to, able to do that. And, and so, yeah, that it, it it's interesting. So like, when we were planning on going out this year, we're going to go out um, about five days before the season starts. And we're going to take a day, probably two days just to acclimate because my one buddy had uh, altitude sickness really bad, was in the hospital before. And, and yeah, he was, he almost died. It was really bad. And um, so we're taking our time with it and then going to get up a, you know, a few days, plan on a few days ahead of time and, and scout and do, you know, a little bit of that to try to put ourselves in a better spot. Cause none of us have been to this unit before and it's just, you know, kind of brand new. So want to spend that time. Do you, do you spend well, while you're at, at home or, or at work, I guess you could say, you know, doing your, your bidding and you're doing stuff on your computer. Do you e-scout at all? Oh my God. I think if, if go hunt could keep track of like who uses their stuff more in, in Google earth and Onyx, I think I would, I, I, I'm in the top 10%. I guarantee that. Uh, I know there are other guys that, that kind of freak out a lot of like I do, but yeah, I mean, I, I'm a, I'm a morning guy. So like, like we talked before, so, but yeah. so I'm up at four four thirty every day and I'm when, I'm, when the coffee's there and after I go through my emails and all the work stuff, I'm, I'm, you know, going through every state that I'll hunt that year or that I hope to hunt even. I mean, I've, I've scouted in states that I've never, never drawn a tag in. So, um, or at least not that tag. And yeah, no, I spend a ton of time looking at stuff. Uh, I'm not going to say I'm the best at looking at an aerial map and saying, this is going to be great. I think, I think where I get my advantage from it, because I, because I, I blank out all the time when I try to predict like, okay, this is where they're going to be. Once you get there, it's never, it never pans out for me, um, for deer anyways, elk are a little bit different cause they need more, they need water more, but where I think my advantage from the e-scouting comes from is just spending so many hours looking at the areas where I'm we, like, once I draw a tag, if it's new, like, I mean, just total vision on that, on that unit. And I'll, I literally have just a sense of like, we're where all the roads at, where all the drainages come from and lead to and where all the water, you know, mostly water sources and where the trails and it just gives you references to the unit itself, not necessarily the animals. And from there you can apply your, 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 your skills to try to figure out where they're at. When you're, when you're doing that scouting, are you finding like a bunch of areas and backup areas and stuff as far mm-hmm. as like part of that plan? So like, okay. as you say, when you go out scouting that you're just like, boom, 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 hitting all these spots, checking them out. Yeah. You wouldn't have to zoom back out very far before this whole screen would be red over my hunting unit. Cause it's just like, just covered by icons. But 
and I, and I spend more time like that during that scouting period deleting icons than I do like writing in something like great buck or you know two good bucks whatever yeah, that that's the rare part most of the time it's not delete 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 and you just move on to the next and keep keep rolling until you find what you're looking for yeah that's that's awesome i i i had figured that you had done a bunch of that you do a bunch of e-scouting just based off of um the amount of time you're going to spend out there and you know not being able to be within close driving proximity which is pretty relative to anyone listening and myself you know, too. And, and it makes sense now too, why, when you had uh, sent me a message about my podcast with Mark Livesey, um, mm. that, you know, he obviously geeks out on it pretty hard. Oh, too. He's got, yeah, I, I still haven't signed up for his course. I need to, I just, I know if I do, I'm not going to get anything else done. Cause that's all I'll be doing. Yeah. But yeah, he's, he's good. Like he's, he's, he has that game dialed. Yeah. But I think my biggest advantage is, is it's time you know like i said i built my business around being able to leave for three or four months straight and when i say that i don't mean like come back home between hunts i don't come home for three or four months i'm gone the entire time living out of my truck or a backpack so and i'm very picky so i get to colorado or one of these states like nevada last year i spent and it wasn't a terrible amount of points i spent i blew eight, or burned eight points so but for me that's the most points i've ever burned because i like to just hunt as often as possible I scouted for 10 days and then I hunted for 18 every single day. And I, I found a couple bucks that I would have shot. Actually, I shouldn't even say that. Brian Barney found it for me. And they, oh, they were hunting Dan's elk tag. And then he's like, we met up that afternoon. He's like, hey, we just found what you're looking for. <laughs> and, really? <laughs> yeah, but he was living a bunch of, uh, above a bunch of domestic sheep. And the sheep herder's dog would blow, him, blow the deer out every time I'd sneak in there. It was a horrible situation. That's why those bucks were there. But anyways, what I was getting at was, I learn those units because I'm in there so much because you can't, you, you know, I, I get there early to scout. I'm super picky. So I'm, I'm looking over hundreds and hundreds of bucks before I find something I want to shoot. And I have time on my side. I can, I can, you know, I can, I can wait. And so you do, you, you not, you know, you take that now to another unit, like in Colorado, you know, I've got a cluster of different units that I hunt every, you know, in rotation, whatever. I know those units really well, even though I don't live out there and I don't get to do a bunch of summer scouting summer scouting you take guys that live out there unless they're brian barney or someone you know uh, that is like doing it you know in their backyard all the time i'm literally spending more time up on those mountains following those animals than the people that live there because i'm i got nowhere else to go you know they're they're coming out and going to their jobs you know i'm hunting like two-day weekends or even long weekends or whatever i'm i got i'm just living up here in the mountain so that's that's one of my advantages yeah, no, that's how it, it, from just like the mental side of it, of being able to stay out there that long and stuff, did that take a little bit to get used to, or is that just something that you just think you're just bred into? Like, Not at all. And I laugh my ass off listening to people on other podcasts talk about the mental part of, you know, being alone. I'm like, God, I look forward to it all year. <laughs> that's all I want. <laughs> I, love my wife and I love my employees, but no, I have zero problem being alone for four months straight. Uh, I mean, and you come out every few, you know, whatever, a few handful of days, do laundry and meet people. And, and I have friends in all these States now, you know, I've met along the way, uh, you know, I have guys that, you know, they'll, they'll take my freezers, you know, it's like a little flatbed with freezers along the way. And I'll let, basically leave a trail of freezers with meat and, and heads in them and then pick them all back up on the way back through. Uh, so I see people, but no, I can, I, I am completely built to be a solo hunter. Like I do, I don't, 
I won't say I don't hunt well with others because uh, I've actually last just a few years, I've made a friend in Wyoming that I, we made a, make a point now to hunt every year together and I have a blast, but I have no problem being alone and I, I am a much more efficient killer when I'm alone. Yeah, that's, that's, yeah, that's interesting. And then I guess when you're being, when you're alone too, on those hunts, like I just, I've, I've never done a solo hunt out West. I've done where like I'll hunt by myself, but I'm always, you know, kind of coming back to a group of people. But in those situations where you're by yourself, you, you make the decisions faster because you're not having to bounce it off anybody. It's just, you and whether it's your mistake or it's your success, you own that, you know, from yeah. beginning to end. Yeah, that's a good point. It doesn't always work out that that, that quick decision making and that I'm just going to do it doesn't always pan out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Sometimes it does. So yeah, it's. Oh, that's, that's so cool. Like, so back a little bit to the, the e-scouting apart like what are so when you are marking all these points are you looking for areas that the deer are living in you're trying to find glassing points like what what exactly are you um focusing on for that well i mean you can look at big you know lush basins that and think okay well the deer might be there but it isn't going to matter if you can't find a spot where you can see them from and then once you do find them from that spot how can you get to where they are without them seeing you so you can get in a position to kill them um, and this goes back to like, uh, when I was younger, I, I leased some property in Southern Illinois and the guy, the guy I leased it from was a pretty good hunter. He was one of the first guys that I ever met that killed a lot of big deer. And I, I asked him about his tree stand placements and he's like, he told me, he's like, it doesn't matter how good the tree stand looks or how close it is to a great trail. If the wind doesn't if the wind swirls in there, or if that, there's, there's just a list of so many different things, but what it comes down to is, can you kill what you're trying to kill from that spot? And then it's the same exact thing in the mountains. There's lots of great spots where, you know, the winds always swirls there or, or there's just, there's only one way in or out of this chute and they're going to see it. You have to think, look at every spot is, can I kill something there? So Number one, I look for glassing spots, overlooking those nice looking areas or, or as much, or just as much train as possible. Um, and then from there, I, I look for like, how do I, and this isn't necessarily using trails. A lot of times it's off trail, but how I can traverse the area the most efficiently to glass it in my scouting. Um, Cause most of my attention to the e-scouting isn't for killing the deer. It's for scouting the deer. Cause I'm not just going to shoot a buck. I'm going to find something special and then kill him. And so I'm going to look for those big glassy knobs or those, or even secluded glassy knobs. Like last year, the buck I found, I mean, that, I was on the side of a mountain on a cliff, basically trying not to slide off, looking across the big Canyon to a spot no one else could see. Cause that's the only spot you can see it from. So those weird little spots to look into little, nooks and crannies but then also uh bridge lines or or areas you can traverse through with a minimal amount of loss and gain of elevation and not being cliffed out so you can cover ground maybe look on both sides and it's just a matter of basin you know footsteps and basins i mean if you really want to find something great it's you're going to have to put a lot of miles on your legs probably and i'll cover a lot of ground so 
doing that the most efficiently, I guess, is the way I look at it. Yeah. So, okay. So you're trying to find probably like, you know, a bunch of different areas that you can hit by running a certain ridge line or something instead of having to go up and down, up and down to hit some of these different places and wear yourself out. But sometimes those are the easy spots to run and those are the spots everybody runs. So the only way to find the good ones is to get your butt in the nasty stuff. (laughs) And you might have to hike a half a day to get to one little spot where you can only see one little area, but that's the only spot you can see that area from. And do you, so, do you do that like from Google earth or whatever, like, like put it down in the view to try to be able to like, those spots are hard to find. Those, okay. those spots are hard to find on Google earth. I have not been good at that. I'm sure Mark, someone like Mark or who is just like an expert at, at looking at this stuff could, I, I'm always fooled when I get there and it's like, Oh, this is not what I thought it was going to be. You know, <laughs> I'm looking around thinking, am I in the right unit? Like this is what I'm looking <laughs> So I, more often than not, I stumble upon those little spots or, I, or I'll see, you know, I'll see a little, you know, a little spot and I can't see in there. I can't see in there. And then I try to figure out how the heck can I see in there? And then you end up like, Oh God, I got to walk through that and get over there and try not to slide off the mountain in order to see in there. So just kind of happens. Yeah. I, I was going to say that's, that's one of the things that I've been like, I, I know I need to learn more as far as like, I remember the first time I went to Colorado and I marked these spots like, Oh, I'm going to, we could glass from there. We could do this. And then I get there. I'm like, there's no way that I can get it. Like there's, there, it's just a cliff, you know, and it's so deceiving looking at it online yeah. versus what you're And Mark has some tricks that I've been using to help where you can change Google earth to like put it at, you know, 1.5 or two times what the steepness that it actually is that, that it shows on the map. So you can kind of get a better mm-hmm. real time view of it. Yeah. It's, it's I got to take that class. Yeah. Oh, it's, <laughs> it's, it was super helpful. And for me, I haven't even finished his class is so long, but it's so good. Like, and, and I don't want to just like put a couple minutes into it. Normally like I've taken some online courses for things that like I can spend 10 minutes here, 10 minutes there and get information. Well, his is like, you almost need to be, have a, a screen off to the side where you're, you know, you're working on your own thing, like trying to practice it while he's telling you it. And it's, it's a in-depth process, but, huh. um, that's but why that's why I haven't subscribed. I'm scared. I won't get anything done at work. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Yep, exactly. <laughs> but no, that's 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 interesting as far as like, you know, finding those those glassing spots that are probably more identifiable, but then also being able to identify those harder the ones that aren't as easily identifiable from a map or from home or, or whatever. So that's that's interesting. But and so the other thing is like I, I heard a story of um a buddy of mine, you may know him, uh, Clint Casper. I don't know if you ever yeah. talked to Clint. Mm-hmm. So him and I are really good friends. And he, uh, his story from 2019 is Colorado mule deer where he got cliffed out trying to come out and everything. And, and just like, that's a, a real concern as far as like trying to be able to figure out how to navigate yeah. those areas. And what you mentioned earlier made me think of it when you were like bucks that are actually huntable or killable, you know, from, yeah. from that standpoint. Clint actually reached out to me uh, before he killed that buck that, that spring before, before he applied there. And uh, he, cause he, someone had told, I think Brian had told him that I had hunted there and, uh, and I helped him a little bit and I'm still trying to figure out how he got himself in that much trouble uh, and get caught cliffed out. But he's lucky he found those people to help him get that deer out of there. 
Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I know. When he called me when he was walking out, and I'd never heard he just sounded scared, you know. Like once he finally got cell service, he because he knew my brother lived in Colorado, and he's like, "Hey, is your brother available to come help me?" And he was like, just sounded bad, and I'm like, "Are you okay?" Because he's the most like joyful person in the yeah, world. Yeah, he's always so happy. And uh, he's like, "No, I'm not okay." And he told me the story, wow. and I was just like, "Man!" And then he ran into some uh, rock climber at a bar or something that ended up helping him get it out. Yeah. No. Yeah. No, there's nothing to mess with. Yeah, there's been lots of times where I've had a good angle on a deer, and uh, I'm I'm, work, I'm working in, and I'm this is like this is this is a done deal. All I got to do is get to that spot above him, and I and I have to turn around. Like I'm, I'm like. You know, you're, you're, you're traversing across and all of a sudden it starts sliding. The whole, and it's not just like your feet are sliding down. The whole thing is like a, a rock avalanche of little teeny shales sliding down. And there's and then it goes off a vertical clip. Of that and it's like, you know, I, I can't, I can't die here. So I can't yeah. be able to, I'm going to find a different spot or wait. And that's happened. I bet that happens at least once every year. I mean, it's, it, you got to be careful and you got to, and being alone, I can't push things. So, you know, when that stuff starts happening, I just got to gotta be smart and back off and figure out a different way. Even when there's a 200-inch or down below you, you got to get I'll your mind right. Yeah. <laughs> find another one. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Um, so, I, I was, when I was scrolling through some of your Instagram posts, it looked like I... Maybe you even have a better story, but this one seemed to stick in my head just from your post was your... 2019 Colorado deer. And I just want to hear the story about that hunt, just how it happened. So if you wouldn't mind sharing it. Sure. No, I, uh, I had never hunted the unit before. So I got there probably seven, eight days of scout. Um, this was still when, before they changed the date. So it was, you know, I was there like mid August pretty much, or maybe the beginning of the third week of August. And, uh, I covered a lot of ground and it's a unit where you can, you can find big bucks down low and up high. It's, it's not in, you know, and, and I'm good at being, uh, how do you want to say it? Like, I, I don't know everything. So I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm asking people about this unit and I asked everybody that I thought might know something about it. And the majority of the people that I talked to, I, I mean, I bet if I talked to 15 people, I bet you 13 of them told me to stay down low and hunt the, the rolling, you know, lower hills and sage country. And I scouted and I spent the majority of my time scouting it. And I just didn't, I just couldn't find the deer that, that I wanted. And so I turned my attention to the top and first day in, I found, you know, what I ended up eventually killing, uh, you know, just absolute giant and with a bunch of other bucks too. But I had to cover, I think that day I walked 17 miles and uh, they were the only group of bucks that I found on that, on that day. And so I logged them away. And then I spent the next, you know, handful of days up to the season, uh, looking for, uh, you know, just a, a B, a plan B plan C. And I found a couple, but it wasn't much. And I actually had to, uh, I actually had to leave, uh, before season to get fuel and food. And also I wanted to, I, I had talked to the DNR, the, you know, the CO, I guess out there you call them, uh, before the season started and just asked him some questions and I was able, I actually filmed a helicopter harassing a, a large group of elk, like pushing about 500 
cows and calves across this giant basin, just hovering over top of them. And so I videoed the whole thing. I was set up there. I was set up with the spotting scope, digiscoping some like 170, 180 bucks. And this helicopter came over and did this. So I wanted to get that footage to him because it was very clear. This helicopter was very clearly marked with a big painting and stuff. So I found him, going out, found him, showed him that. And, you know, he's like, I'll be headed to the airport in a second. And uh, so then since I shared that to him, he kind of opened up to me. He's like, so what have you found so far? And I told him exactly. I said, well, I haven't found squat down in, you know, in the sage, but I found a really good buck up, up high. And he's like, he got a picture. And I showed him and he just kind of nodded like, yep. I wouldn't look any further. It's like, I don't know if another, I know of him. I, I knew of him in there and, and I haven't seen a better one in a few years. So, so that was a couple of days before season. I went back in all, all uh, fueled up and hiked back in to see him. Uh, still, I think it was, I think it was three days before the season still. And I, I, what I was trying to find now was how to get above him because there was no trail to the top of this mountain. Um, there's trails that come about halfway up on two different sides, but there's without what I shouldn't say it, there's a trail walking up, but it's right through his basin. And that's the only one. Yeah. So I bushwhacked up there a couple different ways and just killed myself. But I'm one of those trips I'm sitting there watching him and I, I found him and I basically found him about three or four different spots where he'd bed. Uh, he'd bed in a different spot. He would never bed in the same spot twice or two days in a row. I should say he'd always change it up. And they had like a little routine. Yep, I'm sure it was best based on when, but that day that I was sitting there watching him <laughs> just sitting there in the slate, here comes this hiker. Um, and it's a very lightly used trail. I mean, the, the only reason I even found it was when I, after I killed him, I, I use it to, to haul him out. And it might even be a game trail, uh, but this guy was coming up, a solo hiker, you know, not a hunter, not scouting, very clearly uh, not hunting. And <laughs> locks up the whole thing. And I got, I mean, it, it takes him two hours to get up to me. And I'm just taking video and pictures of, the, of this buck. And uh, he gets up there and he probably gets 20 yards from me before he sees me. And I, he, I mean, I, I startled him because I, I was in full camo and he, you know, sitting in the rocks, I blended it pretty good. So he said, oh, what, what are, what are you doing? And I explained to him and, and he wasn't an, an anti-hunter. He was just a non-hunter. And uh, we spent 35, 40 minutes talking about the whole process. So, you know, he had imagined the questions they have, like, like, well, where are the deer? I'm like, well, they're down there. You just walk by them. Cause when, when he came up that basin, he was six, seven yards away from those bucks. They never got out of their beds. They just watched him walk and, and they wouldn't even, they'd look at him and then they'd look away. They weren't even, they weren't that com- com- concerned, but I showed him through the, you know, the scope, the deer laying there. And he's like, I never would have known. He's like, yeah, there's 15 bucks laying there. Just walk by. And, and uh, so we talk about the whole process of breaking down a deer and hauling them off the mountain and how, what do you do with the meat and doesn't it go bad? And I know all these things. And by the time he left, I'm sure he was ready to go buy a small game tag and, and try, try hunting. But yeah, but he was super nice. His name was Chad. And he took his little picture, you know, selfie thing of himself on uh, on this mountain peak. And I'm not gonna say how high it was because it give it away. Yeah. A lot of tall peaks, but there's. Uh, but anyways, he took his, takes his little pictures, and he's like, "Well, have a good day," and takes off, and he goes right back down the basin. And the deer again, they'll pick up their head once in a while and look at him, but they're not really paying much attention until he gets to the center of the basin, sits down on a rock takes off his shoes and changes his socks, has a sandwich, reads a book for a little while, uh, goes number one, number two, uh, and then puts his new back, new socks back on 
And instead of continuing on the trail, because at this point the deer are watching them, they're not, they're not looking away anymore. They're just focused on them. He decides he's going to go walk over towards the cliffs on the other side of the basin because who knows why, but that's exactly where the deer are at. And he got about, no, it wasn't very far, a couple hundred yards towards them and, and they all stood up and then they started coming up towards me. And I'm like, oh shit. And I started gathering all my gear as fast as I can because I don't want these deer to see me or smell me. And I mean, the thermals are great, but I got nowhere to go. Like it's on the other side is wide open for like a mile. I mean, it's there. There's no way going to be for me to hide if they come over the top. And I remember getting all my gear and getting, I mean, I was jogging down this, this slope to get away from them so they wouldn't hear me or see me. And I remember looking back right before I went out of sight and all of them were just lined up skyline down the, on the slope, just staring at me. And I remember you know, I'd get the range finding binoculars. I remember clicking it up and it was like 900 and some yards and they were just locked at me. They were looking right at me and they just started diving off the other side back towards his side. And I was like, this isn't good. <laughs> <laughs> the next day I was back in there and they're uh, all there except for the, the three biggest bucks and they were gone. And for the next eight days, I, I did basically the same game that I did this year, this past year in Colorado was I just searched for him and I circled that whole mountain glass and from every spot I could think of uh, from up top, from, from every angle. And he, he was just gone. The only thing I think of now is that he was actually in the timber and just the sparse timber where, you know, they don't, they don't like bumping their velvet on it and they're, they will not spend time on it if they don't have to. But I think they were those three older ones where they knew, after seeing two people like that come at him, you know, one come at him and then they, they flee to their, their, their uh, escape route. And then there's somebody right in front of them. I think that was too much for him. And uh, I was actually, I had met a guy. I was literally, I had made like a little cocoon in, uh, in some willows uh, on the side of a hill to block from the sun as I was just glassing this, uh, the hillside where, the, where they were at. Uh, all the other bucks except for them just seeing that morning if he came back and this guy, other hunter comes up it was the first hunter I'd seen and uh, we ended up spending six hours sitting there talking and there was, an, there was a buck up on the hill that would push 190 and uh, I told him I said you know I'm not going to I'm not going to I'm not going to try to kill him and he's you know if you want to do it and but he I told him the whole story like I was completely honest from front of him like there's one buck in here I want to kill told him the whole story of that, everything I just told you he's like I'm not going up there and screwing that up for him. He's going to come back and you'll kill him. And that guy. So what I did then was tell him where all the other bucks I had found in the unit were that I wasn't going to kill. And the bucks, the good, you know, it was a bunch of like 170, 180 bucks in that unit where the helicopter spooked those elk. And I sent him in there and uh, he got a shot. I think that a couple days later, but I don't, I do not think he ended up killing one, but, but anyways, he, he, he uh, didn't go up there just because he knew that, that I was waiting on that buck. That's and, awesome. It was. He's a good dude. Um, still message with him once in a while now. So, so fast forward. I think it was the fifth day of the season. It was actually the day that he came out of it. That that guy I was just talking about. He came out of the area where I had uh, sent him and told me how he did. And I was back at camp getting cleaned up, uh, getting some fresh, some real food at my base camp. I mean, and I was telling the story and of what I'd seen and what I hadn't seen. More importantly. And I literally, while he was there, like he walked back to his truck and while he was there, I picked up on a, on a little snow, cause I had my glass and stuff set up there. I could still see one side of the mountain. I glassed up a little speck on a, on a snow patch 
for that was left over from the year before. And uh, those pictures are on my Instagram uh, of, of that buck, but he had to been five miles away. I had the, the big swirl zoomed in all the way and I had the iPhone digitally zoomed out all the way. So it's real grainy and stuff, but I could tell it was him and I found him. And I think he was just working his way back up there from the timber. I don't, cause I had looked in those spots and he was not there. So mm-hmm. that next morning I was up there at daylight and uh, I, well, I shouldn't say that because I, you can't get up above him at daylight because you, you just never know where they're going to be. So I was in a spot where I could see him uh, and saw that I could make it. They were at least were not in a spot where I could make it to the, the top uh, it, on the way up there. It, got it the, the, the weather rolled in the fog rolled in it was just horrible and i had to take shelter but when that broke uh, and i snuck up to the top there he was and i uh snuck down as best i could around a bunch of boulders to get to him but he was just surrounded with all those little bucks and i know they're big bucks too and i got within 100 yards and was just waiting behind some boulders for him to hopefully feed my way. Cause I couldn't move any further. There was little forkies and stuff that were within, you know, 30 yards of me. And one of those suckers just got up for whatever reason, just a little hungry and ate, fed his way over to me and almost stepped at me. And when he realized what I was, just came unglued, ran back through the herd. They all jumped up. Like they don't know what's going on, but he's just like trouble. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we got to go. But, but those old bucks are looking at him like, dude, just, just chill out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so they all ran off like 200, 200 yards and they're standing and now, and now they're up, up on the side of the hill. So they've got, now I'm below them and I'm pinned down and it's half hour from dark. I'm like, this isn't good. I got to get out of here somehow. And I just decided I'm going to play like Chad, the hiker. And I literally got all my stuff up and in one motion stood up behind that boulder and just started walking at a fast pace right down the middle of the basin. And not a single one of those deer left. They all just stood there and watched me walk 500 yards. That's only 250 yards probably from them. And I walked all the way down into the timber and out. And I thought, I don't know if he's going to be there in the morning, but that's a good start because he didn't, he, he did not spook. And uh, next morning, got up there again, did the same routine, basically finding my time to get above them. And you know, I didn't even know if they were in there yet, just a, a chance to be able to see him in there. And I couldn't pick him up right away. And another storm rolled in. I mean, I, and I found every other deer but him. I'm like, here we go again. This is great. And I, uh, I hide from the rain and the snow. Uh, as soon as it breaks, peek back out, and he's just magically there. Uh, and he's not with them. And this was this was the key. They are all down in the willows now, and he's up in the rocks, uh, probably two or three hundred yards above them. And he's speeding away from them. And and, I, and, I, and as soon as I saw this, I'm packing my gear back up in the in my bag, and I'm like, I got to be ready to go. And he laid down right in the middle of the basin, behind just a you know, volleyball, you know, a couple of volleyball beach ball sized rocks, and it's tiny. Like there's no shade from the sun here. As soon as it comes over the hill, he's gonna probably get up and join them. So I've got a limited amount of time now to get in range. He's about 750 yards away from me, and it's like really steep and then it, and then it flattens out and then I actually comes back up and I got I got to then go through boulders to get to him that's kind of undulating terrain but there's nothing in between us so that first like 500 yards where so I'm going straight down all he had to do was turn around 180 and he's just looking right at me and I just got right behind his back of his head basically and just worked my way down as quietly as I could all the other deer were laying down in the willows completely hidden so that I mean they, I didn't wasn't worried about them at all 
And it worked. I got to the bottom. And as soon as I got to the bottom, I dropped my pack. At this point, I'm out of sight. And then I just had to weave through the boulders and come over to the top. And really, once I got to the bottom of that, it was it was done. That was all the hard work. It was super easy to get up, you know, sneak up over, uh, you know, it was soft grass. It was big boulders. Once you're in those big boulders, it's, I mean, you can use those to your advantage pretty easy. And I got to 45 yards and just waited and he stood up and that was it. No way. So... How did, how did you know exactly where he was? Like when you were coming, you know, that was 750 yards is quite a ways away. As far as like when you were coming up, did you know that you were going to be right on top of him? or? Yeah. You, oh, I've been in that basin for two weeks. So I, oh, I know. I, yeah. I mean, you, you, you spend enough time up there. Plus uh, you've heard guys talk about taking pictures of, of something. So that you have it on your phone, what you know, when you're digiscoping from your glassing spots and you get over there because stuff always looks different over there. Also, what I'll do too is get your Onyx out or your base maps, whichever one you want, zoom right in, find that boulder he's next to. Because it's, it's it's easy. I mean, when you just look at I mean, you'll be able to see there's still same big rocks with those same cliffs. Make an waypoint exactly where that buck's at. And, and I mean, to the rock. And uh, it, it'll yeah. more often than not, I'm like, oh, I got to go up. I got to go, you know, gain a little bit of elevation or whatever. But yeah, no, it's it's good. That's awesome. And yeah, that buck is incredible. I, I, I think I still have it pulled up on one of my tabs on my computer here. That's just looks like big cliffs up behind them there that oh, yeah. goes up to the top. Like just so awesome. Yeah, no, he's he's my best. Um, it'd be, it'd be uh, the buck this year. I was that I got blown out in Colorado. He still wouldn't have beat him, but he would have been close. I, I put him about two hundred five. Really? What What did this one end up being? Uh, two eleven really unbelievable yeah that's mm-hmm. crazy and uh do you so do you plan on well i'm sure you do but do you have any tags yet as far as for this year <laughs> i don't have a single tag i didn't even draw the the stuff that i always kind of lean on as my backup plans like a montana general combo or anything i have not drawn a single thing yet so uh you know, I always have some, well, I shouldn't say that because I always had the, the general combo to lean on, but yeah, I'm hoping, I'm hoping this year that I'll be in Utah uh, hunting the general deer. Um, I mean, I'm always hoping I'll draw some other stuff there, but the general deer I should draw, but I also should have drawn last year, but it jumped a point. So hopefully it doesn't jump another point. And that will be my, my early season uh, deer this year. I will not be in Colorado uh, for the early season. Really? Uh, the first time in, yeah, in uh, almost a decade that I will not be in Colorado's high country. So I'll be up there, but I'll be hunting elk. So. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Are you burning some points or? No, I am uh, actually going to hunt the Eastern Plains. Interesting. I got invited. Yeah, I got invited to something I, I can't refuse, and uh, uh, it's going to be something new for me. So I guess I'll, I'll go ahead and say it was, just, it was similar to the, the thing I was saying about it's going to be on Rock Slide, but uh, a friend of mine, Blake Hunter, and I are going to be uh, filming a couple of hunts, in, both uh, similar to the style like what I've been doing in Kansas with the spot and stock and the spot and decoy uh, rut hunting uh, with archery. So we're going to do the same thing in eastern Colorado and Kansas. And uh, we've got a you know videographer, David D. Austin from Kafaro, is going to film it. and. Yep. We're gonna put it up on Rock Slide and got some cool sponsors. So it's it's uh it, it's something I've been saying no to for a long, long time. And uh and I 
have been saying no to videographers and the best, the best videographers in, in the, in the hunting industry, I think um, uh, I've, I've been asked by, and I've said no, because it's, it's like just more things that could go wrong. Yeah. These hunts in, in Kansas and the Eastern Plains, when they're in a rut with that decoy is I think made for filming. So it's, it's those deer at that time are, you are so gullible and it is so cool that the film I think we're going to get, I mean, if I'd had a camera with me in the last 10 years hunting there with the, with the decoy and, and the rattling and the calling, it'd be some of the most amazing footage I've ever seen, but I've never had a camera. Yeah. So, <laughs> so hopefully that doesn't change, but no, my hunt, my high country uh, hunt this year will be in Utah. Okay. And hopefully, you know, I can pick up something else along the way to another state, but, uh, leaning on your time. Gotcha. Well, cool. And well, Tony, I think, um, I think if you're up for it, I'll probably have to have you on again too, to talk about whitetails. I, uh, I, I'm intrigued by that as well. Um, so, but I just wanted to focus on the high country type stuff here. It's, it's, it's difficult to cover it all, but I really appreciate you coming on here and talking to me tonight. No problem. Anytime you want to talk, I'm, I'm always getting to talk to your elk or or even gear or anything. Awesome. Um, so where, where can people find, you mentioned your Instagram a few different times here. What's, uh, what's your handle there? Uh, it's just my name, Tony, uh, underscore and then treach spelled funny T R I E T C H. And, uh, I'm on Facebook too, but it's, you know, everything basically I just, the only thing that goes there is from Instagram. Yeah. And then, uh, and then rock slide. And I think I've still got one or two articles, uh, that, coming out in magazines here shortly, but never really know when those are going to pop, but yeah. yeah. And you can, and you can always get a hold me on rock side too. So cool. Awesome. Well, again, thank you so much for coming on. Really appreciate it. Well, thank you. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of East meets West hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit East meets West Facebook at East meets West outdoors and Instagram at East meets West hunt. If you enjoyed today's episode, please review and subscribe and we'll catch you next time.